From Kent School in Connecticut, I'm Matt Austin with Troubles Going. Today on our show, author and ringer Carberetta Bartland talks about her two romances, A Short Touch of Bristol and Her First Long Length. First, though, here it is, your last chance. Go and buy or borrow a copy of A Single Thread by Tracy Chevalier, next episode's guest. I'm so certain you'll like it that I'm offering a time-back guarantee. I will do household chores for you next time you're in your city. I'll make fudge for your band's holiday share. I'll help you or your kid with some math or physics problems. Tracy and I have already recorded our conversation. She's a lovely person. Um, She's an exceedingly good writer. And I'm really jealous of the Winchester Cathedral ringers that they got to show her the ropes. You got one month. For now, here's Carberetta Bartland. Carberetta Bartland, welcome to Troubles Going. Thank you for taking some time to talk with us today. The pleasure is all mine, my darling. It's such a thrill to speak to a fan from far over in the dim and distant colonies. So there's the usual flow to how I do these conversations, um, but as I should have expected, you've thrown me off my game already. So here's the burning question. Where did you find a picture of a peel band in bikinis to send me? I found it in a suitcase in Mr. Bartland's wardrobe. He does tend to keep hold of the more interesting back issues of Ringing World. I have remonstrated with him about matters of this type before. He promises to behave himself from now on. All right, we'll we'll get to him eventually, but you are today's guest of honor. Let's start first with your full name. Carberetta Clarabella Catatonia Bartland de Robespierre III, the Dowager Viscountess of Fingringhoe. As you mentioned, I'm from the Dim Colonies. Um, what then are the privileges and responsibilities of the Viscountess of Fingringhoe? Fingringhoe is a sleepy little backwater of Essex, and the manor therein comprises my ample country seat. I visit it but rarely nowadays, you understand, what with my pelvis. However, I retain a small staff of sixty yokels within the estate who tend to my undergrowth and lady gardens. All right, you mentioned a pelvis injury. Um, let's go ahead and pull back the curtain a bit for, for our listeners. Yours, in fact, is not the voice that they're hearing right now because of a larynx injury. Correct. I have sustained a severe strain to the vocal cords, having attempted to call a full peal of Fanny Bedwell in Church Stretton. So your provision of a keen and able actress to voice my words is much appreciated. I am currently bathing my throat in a gargle of Dubonnet and gin on the rocks. Before you were calling peals, before you were writing about ringing, before you were even ringing, um, you somehow became aware of ringing. Tell us, um, where did you grow up? I was born I know not where, as my mother was one of the world's first jet-setting ringers of distinction. She gave birth to me somewhere in between peel attempts in Australia but can only recall the details of the composition. My birth was a mere postscript to the proceedings. However, I was given great loving care by my nanny, Mrs. Beavers, who brought me up as one of her own. It was she who first started reading diagrams to me as I drifted off to sleep under my snowy white coverlet, and the rest is history. Diagrams was the only book that was allowed in the nursery. So when did you first put hands to a rope? When did you learn to handle? Two quite separate questions, my darling, but I will deal with each individually. Hand to rope was first achieved at the age of nine during a hot summer afternoon in the delightful company of the band at Bromyard. But handling took me some considerable extra time to master. That came after finishing school in Switzerland. The things you got to learn out there. I could have handled anything after that. Mr. Bartland assures me that the way in which I subsequently handled his tenor at Shrewsbury St. Chad's 
was one of the main things that attracted him to me. Okay, well, we'll, we'll come along to your depictions of instruction in good time. Um, but tell me, do you have strong memories of any early instructors that shaped your habits now? Good ones, bad ones? You're really putting me on the spot now. Gosh, let me think. I'm particularly interested in ringing instruction and the instruction of younger ringers. Um, I, I don't know if you know, but I'm a teacher at a high school that has a tower. Regarding bad habits, I have none of which I'm aware, save being something of a perfectionist. My best habits, a rigid, erect posture, a tight grip and a rhythmic wrist action, were acquired early on from one of the leading lights of the Worcester Cathedral Band, but he has an injunction against me naming him. Plus, he is now 112 years old, so the shock of hearing his name mentioned across the Atlantic might well finish him off for good, regarding the instruction of young ringers. The said instructor was so impressed with my early promise that he moved me on from trebling within a fortnight and had me inside in no time at all. He wouldn't let me bong behind without a strap on, however, so that pleasure had to wait until my days at Cambridge University. You've never seen anyone get it up like I could with the tenor at Great St. Mary's in my heyday. A few years before the pandemic, I had my first experience with that practice at St. Magnus the Martyr. Uh, we don't see it much over here in the States. I'm proud to hear that you had a go. I suspect that there's nothing very heavy over on your side of the pond. We've got some real whoppers over here, I can tell you. Well, we're, we're 2,400 weight here at Kent School. You should come over and visit us here in Great Britain. We struggle for good instructors these days. It's all gone a bit to health and safety for my liking. Where's the passion? Where's the risk? That's what I long for. A return to the days of exciting, no-holds-barred, all-action ringing. So let's jump on that for a moment. Without getting terribly political, um, let's talk about the pandemic and lockdown and practicing remotely. The pandemic, I, th I think it's fair to say, is almost a minor character in your book, Her First Long Length. Yes, indeed. What was your experience of the lockdown like, um, both as regards ringing, other projects, your sanity? Um, you know, I, for one, I started this podcast as a sanity saver during the lockdown. I feel that the pandemic was handled very well, by and large, and I adapted well to the opportunity to perfect some of the lesser well-known methods on handbells. Brown Willie, two in hand, was a revelation, I can tell you. Lockdown was, of course, a lonely time, but once we were able to get back into the tower with masks, rubber gloves and hand gel at the ready, it all seemed like a home from home. What was that timing like for you? I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering 2020 and 2021. Uh, was that for months? Was that for multiple seasons? I remember little of the details, but for the glorious weather that reigned throughout, and having the opportunity write my romantic blockbusters at leisure was a real boon. I would adjourn to my balcony every morning with tea and a Twinkie and just write whatever came to mind. So a short touch was a lockdown project for you? I noticed that it was copyright in 2020, but I don't know when you had written it versus published it. A short touch preceded the lockdown by a few months. I completed it in spring 2019, I believe, but didn't publish it until later. All right, so backing up the timeline, a uh, short touch of Bristol you wrote in 2019. Is that when you first started seriously writing, or has it been part of your life for much longer? My background is in poetry, essentially. Larkin, Auden, Browning, Dickinson, Plath. All have inspired me hugely, but they all seem to struggle on the romance front. 
so I drifted over to the romantic novel genre to satisfy my lust for literary passion. Perhaps I am blessed to have grown up in an area which is synonymous with love, that is the British West Midlands. People talk of Paris as the city of love, but those people have clearly never been to Kidderminster or Wolverhampton. So occasionally I have the opportunity to take students over to England for a week or so of ringing. How delightful. It must be wonderful for them to experience some culture. Oh, well played. I'd say touche, but our conversation before the recording uh, gave me a bit of a feel for your esteem of the French. Cackling raucously. So often we'll be based around London, um, as I know some people in that area, and getting them into London for some of the city sites is a nice way to, to fill out the trip. Uh, but let me put you on the spot. Give me the pitch for basing them out your way. What are they missing ringing in and around, say, London or Oxford? The rolling Shropshire Hills, made famous by A.E. Hausman, would take anyone's breath away, and you can't get enough of Offa's Dyke, provided that you have a nice pair of sturdy walking boots. Regarding bells, there are some very impressive sets in all corners of the district, namely Ludlow, 10, Stanton Lacey, 8, Stoke St. Milborough, 8, Leominster, 8, Bromyard, 10, Shrewsbury St. Chad's, 12, Kidderminster, 12. We are spoilt for choice round our way. I have rung out that way, I think, in, in Worcester. Um, and you're absolutely right about how beautiful that landscape is. And, of course, now that I mentioned Worcester, I'm putting it together that I'm a complete idiot. Um, Grand Sir on Severn, where your books are set, is naturally on the Severn. Of course, my darling. It's a little-known town to the general population, but its reputation has spread far and wide in ringing circles. So let's tackle the places in your books. Are places like Grand Sir on Severn or Frotting St. James, are they based on particular locations that you remember, or are they quilted together from a whole lifetime of ringing memories? If the truth be told, they are something of a mishmash of all the places that I know and love so well. Grancer on Severn has a flavour of Bewdley to it in my mind, and Frotting St. James brings back many happy memories. Drafty chambers, dusty books, cramped quarters. And then some. Those cathedral ringers really are missing out. Yes, we never see hide nor hair of them, with their surprise maximi to keep them busy. But maybe that is why they struggle to find love. They don't know that we have it bursting out of our seams here in the Shropshire, Worcestershire hinterlands. District AGMs are rather like speed dating evenings, if that gives you some idea. I'll admit, from over here, I can barely wrap my head around the notion of a district AGM. Our area meetings, at least in the, in the Northeast, um, they rarely top a couple of dozen people. The annual North American Guild AGM is good for 100-plus people, um, but... I'm, I'm a married man. I, I don't look over the crowd with a mind to pairing. Very wise, very wise. The risks of letting one's heart run wild in the middle of a chairman's report doesn't bear thinking about... Enough about North America, though. Let's get back to Frotting St. James. Uh, the band at Frotting St. James forms a backdrop to Sally's misadventures. That band is, it's, is peopled with real archetypes of ringing. Um, would you care to tackle some of them in your own words? Uh, Veronica, Crispin, Phyllis, Mike, Muriel, Mr. Beavis. Uh, have a go at them. Veronica. She tries, bless her, and will never give up. But she's really mainly there for the gossip and the half-time chocolates. She's brilliant with the flower arranging, though. Crispin. He just needs to be loved by someone with a magnificent organ. But that will only happen if he scamper over the Welsh border away from his mother. Phyllis. She loves a bit of drama, 
She revels in anything that goes wrong. If it fires out after a single lead, she will go home with a smile on her face, especially if the conductor bursts into tears. Mike. He is struggling with his addiction. He will never be able to find a life outside of the tower until the right woman comes along. The right woman doesn't exist. It's a terrible tragedy for him, but at least he can focus on his battered sausage. Put a pin in battered sausage. We'll, we'll come back to that. Muriel. She is the perennial also ran. Call changes is the limit and she will simply never, ever be able to get it up. Mr. Beavis. He is the stalwart who has held it all together since 1953. He just loves to teach and will never let his learners down. His only bit of self-indulgence is his annual week away with the Society of Ancient College Youths when he gets to relive his lost days of innocence and inexperience. Well, he does come back a bit despondent from his latest. Yes, his Dickford water surprise fires out and he can never live it down. But these things happen. He needs to take it less to heart, bless him. So obviously, as the, as the author of a novel, you can make that group work out however you'd like. But we ring in real towers um, and leading practices. We're dealing with a variety of personalities, not as extreme as your characters, um, but it's not like they're unrecognizable. Um, any advice for those of us who run practices, um, managing expectations or impatiences and abilities and personalities? Goodness, managing bell ringers. One shouldn't entertain such an idea lightly. However, there are certain tricks that can help. If things get tense and emotional, fish out the box of Quality Street and that will soon iron out any problems. Managing expectations? Keep reminding them that it's not what you have, it's what you do with it that counts. Huge biceps and a washboard stomach may be lovely, but do not make for a good ringer. Necessarily, poise, posture and an even temper are key impatiences. Every tower has an alpha male, or someone who believes themselves to be. Deflate their egos at every opportunity by suggesting methods that you know they can't ring. I'm having great fun with Cassiobri in that regard at the moment. Sometimes you don't even need to reach that far. I'm trying to call touches of grants or doubles in hand right now. Um, I'm primarily a tower ringer. It's definitely deflating any ringing, ringing ego I might have had. Um, you mentioned Mike's battered sausage, which pops up now and again through the books. It seems an obvious nod to Project Pickled Egg, um, which we discussed on this podcast with Simon Linford a while back. Um, I'll link that in the show notes. Do you have a position on pickled egg that you want to share? Um, you've hinted that you'd like to modify the standard eight yourself. I think any attempt to erase Rutland entirely from the collective consciousness of ringers should be met with suspicion. Rutland is beautiful beyond measure, as are Pudsey and Lincolnshire. Beautiful musically? Bear in mind that I regard Schoenberg as music. But to return to the pickled egg, I applaud any attempts to develop beyond the standard eight, and I just wonder if eight is ever really going to be enough. I am a do-it-and-move-on ringer myself. Once a method is in the bag, I want to try something new. So variety is the spice of ringing that gives it all its flavor? Absolutely. Once you've sorted out your Yorkshire, why not dabble with a bit of Gropenhole for a change? All right, let's circle back to the books for one last topic. Distributed ringing. It gets plenty of mention in her first long length. Uh, so let me ask, were you a pr practitioner, ringing room, or handbell stadium, or ding? Only during lockdown did I dabble briefly with ringing room, 
but I have to say that the novelty soon wore off. Lots of men on little screens fiddling with their joysticks. Seen it all before. You can't beat the real thing, I say. I certainly admire their endeavours, and it helped to keep ringing alive during the dark and dismal days of the pandemic. Are you ready for a lightning round? Fire away. Favorite method? Fanny Bedwell. If you had to pick, ring comfortably that which you can excellently versus stretching yourself and pushing for more? Stretch and push every time. How about the best ringing advice you've heard or received? Pull it long and hard, otherwise it'll go floppy. Most recent new thing you've tried, an exercise, a method, a new tower that you've visited? Velvet Bottom was a revelation. Such an impressive back work. This is one I actually struggle with. Um, what is it about ringing that you like? The passion, the romance, the shaving down of the calluses on the palms of the hands. The glamour never ends. What's something you're working to improve? My reverse Canterbury could do with a little tightening up, but then whose doesn't? particularly when you get to my age. All right, you've heard it here. Carberetta Clarabella Catatonio Bartland de Robespierre III is working on tightening up reverse Canterbury. Um, and I'll cheat by adding one question to this lightning round. Do we think there will be another book? Now that I'm a huge, huge star over here in the motherland, I am bombarded daily with correspondence from fans asking for advice. Some selected snippets of our discussions may soon see the light of day. Watch this space, darling. Very exciting. A signed copy will wing its way to you, rest assured. Thank you, Carberetta Bartland, author and ringer. It's been great having you on Troubles Going. The pleasure is all mine. Once again, that was Carberetta Bartland, Dowager Viscountess of Fingringhoe, voiced by Elevenlabs.io. On our next episode, we'll hear from Tracy Chevalier. We'd love to hear your feedback. Tell us what you're ringing, how you're doing, what you'd like to hear, or whom you'd like to hear from. Email troublesgoingpodcasts at gmail.com or head to troublesgoing.com where you can find show notes, listen to other episodes, leave a comment on an episode, or contact us. If you liked the show, please mention it to your fellow ringers. Thanks for listening, friends. Okay, I googled something while we were talking. Fingering Ho is a real place? What is wrong with you people? Do you just let 12-year-olds name anything they want?